an interesting song based on an interesting, blessed verse in the book of Philippians chapter 1. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Someone pointed out one time, and I thought it was interesting, and perhaps you've heard this, perhaps you know it, but if you take out Christ is gain from that verse, it says, for me to live is to die. That's what life is all about for those of us who know Christ. Living our lives to bring glory to his name in all that we say and do. Well, we began our study some time back, several years ago, I think. We're just about at the end. We began our study in eternity past. That's not when we began teaching it, but that's where we saw at the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1 1. Reminds us that John was covering this whole life that he has talked so much about to help us to come to that place of understanding who Jesus really is. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. We went from eternity past to the Word becoming flesh, John the Baptist and his ministry along the Jordan River, and just on and on through the life of Christ. And today we come to the Sea of Tiberias. And here we watch as a group of men come together. And we saw the beginning of it last week. But we get a chance to see this group of men as they are, well, our term we use today is fellowshipping together. They were fellowshipping together. Believers in Messiah were fellowshipping together around food. And the verse that we begin with is when they had finished breakfast. When they had finished breakfast. It was a picnic breakfast out by the Sea of Tiberias. We've been hearing about what was taking place over the last week or two. The fishing, the empty nets, and the direction from our risen Savior. Jesus, for the third time since his resurrection, was with his disciples. There were Peter and Thomas. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting in that list of names of those men that were there, that those are the first two names that appear? Peter had argued with Jesus about denying him or not, had gone into the garden with all of the disciples in Jesus, and then had cut off Malchus's ear as a sign of his great strength and power and his love. And then he denied Jesus. Just as he had, Jesus had told Peter that he would. And then Thomas, doubting Thomas. Wouldn't you love a 
a, a moniker like that in front of your name. Here's doubting Stephen. Here's doubting Chris. What, what, a, what, a, what a thing to hold on to. One time in his life that that description was based on, and yet it hung with him even till today. Thomas had said that he wouldn't believe that Jesus had risen from the dead unless he could thrust his hand into the wound in Jesus' side, unless he could put his fingers into the nail holes in his hands. Both of these men had choked down their words as they stood before their risen Lord. John chapter 20, as we heard a couple of weeks ago, Verses 24 to 29 is the account of Thomas and his proud statement and the Lord's response to him. It also tells us how he acknowledged his pride and sin and how he had worshipped the Savior. Here, in our account today, Thomas, Peter, Nathaniel of Cana, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples, who probably were not of the twelve, since their names are not mentioned, are given as the ones having this breakfast. Of course, we also know of Peter's proud statement. We mentioned Thomas, and now we're mentioning Peter. We know of his proud statement that he would never deny Jesus or leave him, even if all others did. Back in chapter 13, he said that, what we call the Last Supper. And chapter 18 tells us of his failure. I want us to come to see here in this very first verse, verse 15, Jesus asked a question to be answered not just by Peter, but he asked a question that we need to all answer. Sitting on that beach must have stirred Peter's memory and his conscience. The first time I think that might come to his mind was the day when he was had been fishing all night and had caught nothing. And Jesus came and stepped into his boat and said, push out from the shore. And there from that boat he taught the people that were there listening. And when he finished, the rabbi turned to the fishermen and said, cast your nets out. And Peter, these are my view of it at least, Peter in typical Peter fisherman fashion, shook his head and said, Lord, we fished all night and caught nothing. But... You know, you know the phrase, you know the idea, you said it yourself. Well, but just to please you, just as your word, we'll put the nets out. And they did. And I'm sure in minutes, maybe seconds, those nets were filled with fish. And everybody was scrambling in that boat. And the other boats nearby to come and help, to help them pull in that catch. Luke chapter 5 is where that was recorded. 
Perhaps Peter was thinking about the feeding of the 5,000. He was one of the 12 that took the five loaves and two fishes, and after Jesus had blessed it and broke it and he gave it to the disciples, they took it out to those 5,000 men plus the women and children. Five loaves and two fishes. Wouldn't you like to be able to do that, Tyler? Be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Perhaps, perhaps it was at that time, chapter 6 of John, that we read Peter's clear-cut witness of faith. You remember that there were people who decided to leave following Jesus at that time. Because the things he taught, the things he said were too much. It was too difficult for them. And so they began to go away. And Jesus turned to the disciples and said, Will you leave also? And Peter, Peter again, the leader, spoke up and said, Where else will we go? You have the way of life. You are the Son of God. The fire of coals would certainly remind him of that night just just a few days before when he denied his Lord. Sometimes when we remember the past, we are reminded of things we have to confess. Now, I believe, I'm sure, that Peter and the Lord had already taken care of Peter's sin. I don't have any question about that. It's not mentioned here in this passage. But both Luke in Luke 24 and Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 refer to a meeting between Jesus and Peter after the resurrection that is not described, just mentioned. Nobody else needs to know what went between Peter and Jesus, but I think during that time, Peter's Sin was confessed. He realized forgiveness. It's interesting in the book of John, there's probably many invitations that are given, but three of them stand out in some ways. Back in chapter 1, two disciples of John came to Jesus and said, Master, where are you staying tonight? And he said, come and see. One of those, two was a fellow by the name of Andrew. And Scripture tells us he went and found his brother Simon and brought him. And he told him, we have found the Messiah. The second one is in chapter 7. It was that time, you remember, when the Feast of Booths was going out and the priests and the others were bringing out the water, the symbolic water that they would drink in the idea that their thirst, spiritual thirst, was taken care of. And Jesus called out that night, that day, he said, come unto me, all you that are thirsty, and drink. And then... This one comes to mind. 
Jesus had said back in verse 12, come and have breakfast. Jesus sought to take care of Peter's physical needs as well as dealing with his spiritual needs. Our God cares about us in all ways. Sometimes we get one before the other. Sometimes our physical concerns are so important we get those handled that we forget about thanking God for providing. Sometimes we go to God and nobody tries to take care of our physical needs. Our God doesn't so emphasize the soul and let the body languish or emphasize the body and let the soul languish. He cares for the whole man. So Jesus asked a question to get at Peter's love for his Lord. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, this is an interesting passage. It's, it's fun because all of the books that you read on this bring up the exact same questions. What does Jesus mean when he says more than these? Three questions or three answers to that question are proffered most of the time. Did he mean, do you love me more than you love these other men? Well, this had never really been a problem with the disciples. They got along well, but there wasn't this love that surpassed what they had for the Savior. They loved him supremely. Did he mean, do you love me more than these fish and boats? There are some people that have taken Peter to task because he said to these other disciples, I go fishing, and he took all of these men and he led them astray by going out fishing. But as we heard last week, they were right where they were supposed to be, up in Galilee, waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so they were filling time. And since there was no basketball game, what better thing to do than to go fishing? There's no evidence that Peter ever desired to go back permanently into the fishing business. Fishing never seemed to compete with Jesus' love. I think he probably meant, do you love me more than these other men do? You see, that goes back to the question or the statement that Peter had made in the upper room. Even if all others leave you, I never will. I I, I can see Peter saying that. I know I can hear him, but I can see him doing it too. Even if all others, Lord, fail you, I never will. Jesus was trying to say, hey, I, I, I mean, Peter was trying to say, I'm, I'm not going to do what these other men might do. I won't do that. Jesus reminded Peter of what he had said in the upper room, recorded in John 13. Even if all others forsake you, I'll never forsake you. That was a proud statement. And so Jesus said to Peter, Simon... Son of John, do you love me? Peter had made the point about loving Jesus so much that he could never fail him, never forsake him. Now, there's much discussion about the use of different words in the Greek for our word of love. To be sure, there are three different words, definitions, ideas of love. 
It's hard to know for sure if John is recording different words for love because of the nuance of the word, what exactly it means, or whether he's just using them as synonyms. Let me explain. In John chapter 3, verse 16, I think you know that verse. It said, God so loves the world, mankind, and he uses that word agape. But in chapter 16, verse 27, same situation, talking about his love for man, he uses the word phileo. Are we questioning God's love for man? Is it just brotherly love? Or is it deep agape love? In chapter 3, verse 35 of John, the father's love for his son is mentioned. And again, the word agape is used. But in chapter 5 and verse 20, same situation, God's love for his son, he uses the word phileo. Christians are to love one another. Chapter 13, verse 34, again, it's agape. But in chapter 15, verse 19, it's phileo. It seems that John used these two words almost as synonyms, though there may be fine distinctions between them. I, I don't want to build a message on fine distinctions that we can't be sure of. Two other quick thoughts should be noted here as well. When answering the Lord's first two questions, Peter did seem to affirm agapao. Love when he said, yes, Lord, in answer to Jesus' question. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Also, Peter and Jesus very possibly spoke in Aramaic. Even though the Holy Spirit recorded the conversation in common Greek. Should we push the Greek too far in this case? Well, many would. I'm not today. So let's go to the question. Jesus called Peter Simon, son of John. And that's something that he had called him the very first time they had met. I believe Jesus was taking Peter back to the time that Jesus first called him. Now, it could be spiritual calling him to salvation. It could be calling him to service, but this was the first time, and I, I think he's emphasizing the fact that, Peter, this is where you were. And he went back to those same words. I don't think he was just reminding him of his denials, though obviously that fit in here. John chapter 1, verse 42, when Jesus first called out to John, he had referred to that family name. How he was known before the call came upon his life. There are times in our lives when we need to think back to when God first called us. I'm just barely old enough to remember back to a time when a lot of preachers and evangelists would remind us when people would question their salvation to Even go out in your backyard and put a stake down, put something down, write down the date, put it in your Bible, have something where you could go back and say, yes, this, this is the day, this is the time, this is the place. I remember that happening. We need to remember regularly to go back and remember what Jesus has done for us. Listen, 
He saved us from eternity in hell. He saved us to share the blessedness of salvation with those around us. He saved us to experience His presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit each and every day, each and every moment. God has blessed us in such an unbelievable way. And I believe Jesus was kind of taking Peter back and saying, remember what's already happened in your life. Remember already what I've done for you. Now, I'm not going to go through all three of the questions. Let me jump down into verse 17, if you don't mind. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus knows the answer to all questions that we have in our hearts. Peter makes that statement, Lord, you know everything. Jesus knows our hearts. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. Even when we question ourselves. Centuries before, God had asked another man whether he loved his God more than these. Abraham had questioned God for a long time. God had said, you're, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to be the one that's going to provide the seed to bless this whole world. And Abraham didn't have a son. And Abraham kept questioning God and saying, uh, uh, yeah, but uh, how? I don't have a son. And finally, at old age, Abraham and Sarah became parents. And the question was turned back on Abraham. I have given you a son. Now, take your son. Your only son. God was willing to offer his son, only son, as the sacrifice for our sins. Abraham was questioned about his son. Not because God really expected him to offer that son as a sacrifice. Don't get the concept here that God is an ogre like that. Our God is trying to get into Abraham's heart. He's trying to get into Peter's heart. He's trying to get into our hearts today and he's saying, listen, do you love me? Do you love me? God didn't ask Abraham to do that because he was questioning what Abraham would do, but because Abraham needed to be reminded of his trust, his own trust in his God, who had provided that son. God knows Everything. He knew that Peter would deny him. And that he would come back and serve his Savior, even unto his own death. Jesus was taking Peter back to that day when he committed himself to his Savior. I think 
that morning as they stood along the shore. Well, or perhaps as they kind of crouched down. And they took fish and bread and they ate and they laughed and they talked. And I can't help but picture Peter as being a little bit quiet. I, I think, I, I think for any, when he first realized it was the Savior, remember last week he jumped into the water and swam to the shore and he was so excited. But I think as he knelt around those coals, and I think as he thought back, the corners of his mouth began to tear down. He began to think about so many different things in his life. He remembered his brash statement, I will never deny you. I think that was still eating at his soul. And once you start that way, your mind goes back to other things. I think Peter remembered sitting in a boat one night when the storms were coming and the disciples saw what they thought was a ghost walking across the water. And Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter Peter said, if it's you, bid me come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter stepped out on the water. Don't you wish it just stopped right there? <laughs> because we all focus on the fact that Peter began to sink. You don't see any pictures painted anywhere of Peter walking on the water. You see pictures of Peter sinking in the water. Some of them up to his neck with his hands out. Save me! I think Peter's mind went back to that time when Jesus had come and he started in faith. And he began to sink. I think Peter remembered standing by the cross. And seeing his Lord dying there. And remembering all that had happened the night before. Remembering all the ways that he felt he had failed his Lord. And now. Now Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John. Back at the beginning, Jesus had said, you shall be Peter. Now he's calling him Simon. No matter what would take place, Peter could not get his mind off of his failures. And then Jesus asked him, Peter... Do you love me? Jesus wanted Peter to say it. He wanted him to repeat it. Jesus wasn't questioning Peter. He was helping him to place his trust where it belonged. In his Savior. Not in himself. 
It is amazing how much we as Christians get to the place in our lives where we feel like we've got it. We've got our ministry handled. We, we, can, we can throw things together at the last minute and we get a Sunday school lesson cl- done. Or we can do whatever it might be. Just We, we can handle it. We, we've got it. And somebody says, we need to pray about those things. And we say, oh, it's okay. It's okay, Lord. I've I've got it. That's what Peter had been doing. Different times in his life. Jesus called out to Peter. Care for my flock. He says it three different times, verse 15, 16, and 17. First time he's in the original saying, feed my lambs. Then he says, tend or herd my sheep. Jesus knew something there, didn't he? And then he says, feed my sheep. It's hard to know if these three are unique commands. It's hard to know if Jesus asked, do you love me three times? Because Peter denied three times. We've all heard that. Put forth, and that could very well be why. Often in Scripture, words are given twice to emphasize a point. Verily, verily, or truly, truly. But when God really wants us to remember something, kind of like His holiness, He tells us, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Three times. He's saying, don't forget that. Perhaps Jesus is trying to make the point that Peter loves him, but it doesn't stop there. Maybe he's trying to get Peter to realize, I love you that much. Do you love me? And I know you do. Maybe he's saying, this is so important, Peter. Three times I asked you, and three times you answered me, yes. Don't forget it. Because Jesus tells him what the future is going to bring. I know, Peter, that you love me, but now let me, let me tell you. You think it's been difficult in the past. There's going to be some tough times ahead. As a matter of fact, when you get old, somebody else is going to dress you. Somebody else is going to lead you. Somebody else is going to take you. To a cross. Jesus showed Peter that he would glorify God. Verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. The question here is not, Peter, will you glorify God? See, we've already been told to do that. I know Paul hadn't written it yet, but we know the verse, don't we? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. You are not your own, or you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body, in your life. Our purpose is to glorify God. When you become a follower of the living God, it's life-changing. 
When you fall in love with the living God, you are not your own. Peter would glorify God in his body. You and I are to glorify God in our body, our lives, each and every day. And it's something that we have to set our minds to. Because, I don't know if you know it or not, but we live in a world that's filled with sin. We live in a world that just pulls us away from everything God-oriented. Everything. Jesus is speaking to us today as well. And he's saying to you and he's saying to me, Do you love me? Do you love me? He's reminding us, reminding us that it's our responsibility, it's our privilege, it's our joy to glorify God in our lives, in our bodies. And our purpose is to bring glory to Him, not on Sunday, Not uh, when we have an opportunity to minister, but to glorify God every moment of every day in our lives. Now that doesn't mean we're washing dishes and we say, I glorify my God. It doesn't mean when we're washing the car and we say, glorify to God. No, it means our lives ought ought to show forth Jesus to every person that we come in contact with. Like that person that you watched cut you off on the highway and you glorified God as you (laughs) or that person in the grocery line or the line at Walmart who stepped in front of you and in that you know, in that line where there no more than twelve items, you know that one, right? And they have three baskets full. Those are silly little things, but my point is this. All times, we're to glorify God. Maybe God's going to give us an opportunity as we're standing there to talk to another person about Him. Maybe God gives us an opportunity to go and to lift someone's heart who's heavy. Maybe like Peter, we're focused on our past. It's possible that we are focused on sin that has happened in our life that we just can't get victory over. It happens that perhaps we focus on failure in our service to our God or just failure to serve our God. Or we've gotten started on serving, then we've lost our way. Our God, our Lord, knows everything. He knows what you're thinking about. Peter is an example to us to get our eyes off of our past, our problems, our failures, and remember who called us to salvation and who called us to service. He's the God of reclamation products, projects. 
I can go back to Scripture and I could probably go through a whole list of them. I could go back to people that I've seen in my life that you have seen in your life. And you could name them as well. God has reclaimed them. He's brought them back. I've seen men leave their wives and I've seen God bring them back together. Praise God for that. You say, well, what about that sin? Yeah, that sin. But God healed the break. And their lives today are to bring glory to him. Doesn't really matter what it is today for us. God is calling out to you and to me. Do you love me? Do you love me because I love you? I was thinking of that real uplifting, unbelievable song of God's love that came from back in the Middle Ages. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I think sometimes because we teach it to our children, we we forget about the reality of it. Peter, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me more than all of these other things? I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what's going on in your heart or life. I know that As I prayed about this passage, God burdened my heart to say what I've said today. Maybe it's because one person or others. Maybe it's for me. But I believe that God is speaking to lives today. Maybe he's saying... Will you glorify me with your life? Or will you just go through the motions? Will you glorify God when you teach in that Sunday school class, that group of Awana children, or are you just filling a place? Maybe he's saying to you, will you come back and serve me? Even if you failed in the past, because he's calling us, because he loved us, and he saved you for that purpose, to glorify him in your lives. Maybe you're here today, and you think about that type of a God, and you say, boy, I've never met a God who loves like that. Oh, I would encourage you not to leave this place today until you come and pray with someone and meet. Meet the Savior. Meet the one who says, I love you. Will you glorify me with your life? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?
In just a moment, there's going to be a song that will be sung. At the end of the service, there'll be elders here and at the doors. And if God has spoken to you, if God is working in your heart, in your life, I want to invite you today to not leave this place, to not turn your back on the Savior, but to open up your heart, maybe get back to that place where you once were in obedience and service, maybe to come for the very first time. I, I don't know what God is doing here, but I... I believe that some of us need to do business today. All of us need to do business today with God. And I would encourage you not to try to hide it by saying a quick prayer in the pew and slipping out with the idea of forgetting it as quickly as possible, but coming and doing business with God today. Father, work in every one of our hearts. Lord, if there are those here who need to make a decision for life, a decision to glorify your Son, Father, don't let them leave. Cause their feet to move even without them understanding it, to come and to pray with someone. And to remember what you have done for them and perhaps in them. Work in hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name, amen.